Welcome to the Get Emergent Podcast. This is where we discuss leadership, team, and organizational topics and better practices. We like to provide concepts and ideas that you can turn into pragmatic experiments to help you develop your higher potential in your work and your leadership. I'm Bill Berthel, and today I have a very special guest with me. He's a longtime friend for all of us at Emergent. He's a fellow coach, a colleague who has what I'll describe as a beautiful mastery and perspective on human interactions, Newell Eaton. Newell, welcome. Thank you, Bill. It's really a pleasure to finally get around to having a, one of these conversations with you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one that we're going to get to record at least, right? Exactly. Exactly. I always, I always enjoy our conversations. And we were kind of joking just a moment ago that it's a shame we only have, well, we have as much time as we want. We'll only make about 20 minutes or so of this. We could talk all day. We sure could. So today's topic is near and dear to both of us. It's this idea of not knowing, the power of not knowing. Can you help me frame this concept of not just not knowing, but that there's a power in not knowing? Yeah, it's interesting because so often we have this notion that as leaders, we're supposed to be competent and know, right? We're hired, we think, because we're supposed to know. Yes. And we do know a lot, but there are many things we don't know that sometimes we think we should know. Absolutely. And so when, from an integrity perspective, when we kind of pretend we know those things, we usually start to reduce what people discover we fact don't know. (laughs) It really reduces trust. So as leaders, how do we recognize what we really do know, right? And recognize the power of that a lot of other people know things that we don't know. I think the core power of not knowing is recognizing how do we count on others who might know, you know, and when we think about what's the essence of leadership, Mm. a leader is someone who can't get it all done by themselves. They need others to get something they care about done. They care about that. They try and find other people who care about it to come together to do something. Well, those other people are the ones that by asking them what they know, you know, to do stuff. They feel like, oh, their competence is being recognized, they become appreciated. So there's a tremendous power in team creation by a leader who does not know certain things. Newell, I love how you just defined leadership in the way that it's someone who can't get it all done by themselves. That really underscores what we're talking about today. I think well, maybe I should speak about myself because I don't know what other leaders are really you know, thinking or doing. I, I'd like to pretend I know sometimes, and that goes right to the essence of what we're talking about. But I think sometimes I feel that not only should I know, but I'm almost not serving the work or my people by not knowing, right? There's this less than feeling. What have you seen that helps individuals if not relieve that, step into a different space than that pressure of having to know. I think of the particular circumstance frequently when I'm coaching someone who has stepped up into a new leadership role. Yeah, yeah. And there's anxiety about frequently because, oh, will they think I'm competent, Mm -hmm. you know? And that is particularly true if they're managing a group of people who are engaged in something that's different than what they, quote, were experts at. Right. Right. And they start being asked expert questions in that context. It's a perfect opportunity that many in coaching really try and help people with this to say, you know, I'm really good at this. I Mm. know this. And I really need all of you for these areas that I don't know anything about. Maybe I'll learn about through you. 
but really you are the experts and my job is to help you bring your expertise out. So in other words, create the context so you don't have to know. So I love that. So that takes, I can imagine some vulnerability in admitting to others what we don't know. Exactly. Also anchor on what we do know. So it's not a complete surrender. It's not a complete, hey, I'm an ignorant person. (laughs) It's it's some mastery over here, but there's plenty of other spaces that I could really use your expertise. Right. Yeah. And the other thing with teams today, as we all know, there is so much change happening that's unforeseeable. Yes. And fast, right? And fast. So there's a wonderful piece by Edwin Snowden called the Kinefin model, which talks about what's knowable and what's unknowable. I don't know this model. Yeah. It's spelled C-Y-N-E-F-I-N, I think, Kinefin. And so without getting into a long, you know, training piece on it, it basically is saying there are things that are simple that are knowable, like a light switch. Mm. You don't, you flip, well, you flip it, you hope it'll go out. It usually does. That's called simple. Complicated is like, there's probably one good way to write a computer program that mm. will get you there most efficiently. Every time you do that, you'll get the same results. But like the conversation we're having right now or any meeting is what he would call unknowable until it happens. It's complex. And so you can project or estimate what might occur, but you really don't know. Right. Right. right? And that's complexity. And the world we're in today is filled with that kind of stuff. You can explain it after the fact, but you really don't know what's going to happen until it happens. You can try and move things in a direction, like when we facilitate groups, right? You kind of have an idea where it may end up, but you really don't know until the group meets. And the fourth category, which is what is really creating havoc, is called chaos. And you can't even figure out what happened after the fact. Mm. It's just like the world with so much, like, so the pressure the teams are feeling today is because there's a lot of chaos out there. So as a leader, you can't know what's going to happen there. So how do you create the space where it's okay to start experimenting and try small steps to navigate? And so to me, that is really accepting you don't know, and then beginning the process of what are little ways we can figure out the future that are our best attempt. And, you know, that fail fast stuff we sometimes talk about or to pilot things, that's because we're living more and more in a chaotic world. So as a leader, how do you have the resilience to accept you don't know the future? You never really did, but now we really know we don't, you know? So how do you play into that space? And so to me, that's the power of recognizing you don't know and to begin to explore little, you know, the power of small steps, if you will. Let's try this. Let's try this kind of stuff. So the differentiation between complex and chaotic is the foreseeable potential future state. Chaotic is we even get to the future and look back and it's difficult to really tell what has happened. Exactly. Or it's, I sometimes think of complexity, like if you have an organization that has meetings on a regular basis, Mm -hmm. every meeting is going to be different, but there's a general flow that you can sense what's likely to occur. You can do probabilities with some degree of success in complexity, right? Writing a strategic plan, right? I mean, yeah, it won't come out like, it never comes out like what you propose, but there's approximation and you can navigate it. Whereas today's world is far more often chaotic. Mm. You know, we think we know what will happen, but boy, it really does. I mean, who could, you know, certainly the whole COVID time was a time of extreme chaos. No one could, I mean, 
there were people who kind of forecast it was going to happen someday. But to see what was going to happen out of it and how it's affected organizations and the hybrid and all the rest of it, we get to deal with hybrid, like what we're doing right now in a way. I don't think any of us had a handle on that in 2017, 18, right? So the power of not knowing was to appreciate there's going to be an unknowable future. And how do you set yourself up to be resilient enough to be able to deal in that world as a team? So how do you use that? Yeah, so let's go there because I think you're right. I think leaders are working in more perhaps chaotic environments or chaotic topics, the way we're defining chaotic currently. It's actually, it's making me think of the acronym VUCA, right? Yeah. Uh, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, complexity and ambiguity, and ambiguity. right? There's ambiguity that's there. What do we do about it? So there's this thing of not knowing, having a willingness to not know. What's the pragmatic? Yeah. What do I do? First of all, get your team together or get, if you want to even go broader, who are people who are going to have points of view, the whole benefits of what we talk about with DEI these days, right? To get different opinions, to have inclusion, sure. get the wisdom of the more diverse crowd, right? And then from that group, I love that one of my colleagues, Tim Herson, wrote a book on productivity thinking. And in it, he uses this tool called what he calls the no wonder tool. What do I know? What do I wonder? Love it. Yeah. So what do I know is, what do I really know? You know, what are facts or, you know, and ontological terms, what are assertions, right? What do we really know? They're facts. What are opinions or assessments or guesses? Well, some of those are more, have more probability. They, they could still fit in the no category. And what are our assumptions about reality? And getting a group to do that. But then what do we wonder? And that's where we start looking at alternative futures or alternative possibilities. So by even doing that, not that those futures happen that way, but the process of engaging in that, like the benefit of planning, is you at least are preparing yourself for alternative futures. You've got kind of a game plan on what you're going to do with change. When it happens, you know, all of a sudden someone gets sick. Who's going to take their role, right? You know, that type of being clarity about those kinds of things. An organization that does that is then much better prepared to deal with alternative futures. It sounds to me like a lot of paradoxes or the topic of polarity management, which uh, I know you yeah. and I have talked about, we've talked about on our podcast. Yeah. That's really comes in play here, right? Because I, I have a plan, I have some structure, but I'm imagining not knowing will also require a great deal of flexibility and adaptability in my plan, perhaps, right? Because I'm going to discover some of my wonderment is going to uncover things I could not have planned for. And so adaptability is going to be really important there. Exactly. I mean, I'll, I'll use what we're doing right now. I entered this call with like, oh, there's some things I might want to talk about. Yes. I didn't know what I was going to say. We've drifted in some directions that were kind of like maybe in my footnotes of, oh, Maybe we'll go over there, yeah. but it's flowed that way, right? I didn't know this was going to happen. I mean, I'm really appreciating our conversation, Bill, because mm -hmm. I think it's gone where it needed to go for whatever that means, right? We'll assess that at the end <laughs> afterwards, perhaps. <laughs> but so much of accepting that is really how does someone become a resilient leader and create teams that have that flexibility. I'm talking about that because that's the space I mainly focus on, you know, 
and see where it can make have the most impact on the world. I mean, you know, that whole notion that the world's going to change because of the quality of leadership that we create, you know, conscious leadership is the answer. So how do we build that? Well, power of not knowing is one of the core competencies I think we need to help leaders develop. Yeah, I so agree. Newell, talk to me a little bit about how you guide or work with leaders that, you know, this isn't easy. When there's expectations on me, I've got specific goals and objectives to deliver for my organization or for my boss. Man, just letting go doesn't feel like the thing to do. I've got to deliver. Yeah. Well, it's not letting go. Yes. Right. Good. Differentiate for me. It's recognizing I do not know or... I may suspect, you know, I might have a notion of what it is, but I really don't know. To really recognize I'm jumping to conclusions or I'm making some assumptions, who do I know or where might I find out how to know Mm. if that exists? And then if that doesn't exist, because sometimes it doesn't exist, how do I get a group of us together, like I was saying a little bit earlier, that we can at least come up with the highest probability or at least some alternative scenarios? Mm Mm-hmm. And so it's more than one person observing that future. You've built trust in your team that everybody's like kind of working together on because all those different eyes and points of view can really start to see it perhaps with a better chance of success. And it speaks to the importance and value of how we build our teams and develop our teams, right? As much as we can plan that, get the highest probability of diverse skill sets on our team to get that collective intelligence higher yeah. than any one individual. Yeah, there's kind of a freedom in it. Mm. I actually do some embodiment activities around it where I ask people to just realize they can't control gravity, <laughs> right? Yes, yeah. Um, they can count on gravity at least up till now, right? <laughs> and I try to lessen my relationship with it by losing weight, but I <laughs> hear what you're saying. But the notion of, gravitas right (laughs) right it's like notice you can trust gravity right you know so really beginning with what what are things you could really trust that you know if you stop you try and stop breathing you won't succeed your body will breathe for you you know it's sort of developing your inside game you know i sometimes think of leadership development as we help people develop their inside game first so that they can really be more effective with their outside game Mm. right but it begins inside. It doesn't begin outside. And a lot of times they want us to work first on their outside game. But really, you got to get the inside, you know, their embodied sense, their emotional capacity, their capacity to think in various ways so that they can really bring their best of what they got to offer the world forward. And that learning to know yourself is knowable, at least mm-hmm. some of it. Mm-hmm. You know? So how do we start with what can you really know about yourself? So when you're dealing with that external unknown, you're feeling more assurance, or even if you're feeling unsure, you know you're unsure so that you can reach it. You know, it's the getting to that self-awareness level and being learning to count on others that really, I think really matters in using this not knowing principle. Well, I so appreciate the concept of embodying the lack of that control, like our relationship with gravity or our inability to stop breathing. Yeah, love that. We can remind ourselves, we can ground and center ourselves in that. That's right. Yeah, beautiful. Newell, I choose a word or a theme for myself for every year. And I want to share with you that 2024, my my word is adventure. And my theme oh. is to have more exploration and wonder through adventure. 
And this conversation is centered in that space for me. I'm really appreciating it personally, because often adventure is defined in a way where you're out doing something potentially unknown and or dangerous, right? Danger is usually associated with that idea of adventure. And I wonder, what do you think about that idea as we navigate the unknown? How do we navigate those risks or those potential dangers? Yeah, I think you've named part of it as a way to begin is how do we be curious? Yeah. How do we start, you know, how do we open up our curiosity? Even before that, it's like, how do we appreciate ourselves, the world we've been given, the life we've been given? How do we start with those fundamentals? Because sometimes people are so out there, they don't, the miracle of being a human being, right? (laughs) And the miracle of being the human that we are, you know, I just find that people don't spend enough time in appreciation of really the life they've been given. So it's like starting with that. When someone can be curious, they've already in a way like yourself, you've already have some inner appreciation of that. Mm. It's a precondition for it. And beyond appreciation, it's enjoying life. You know, how many stressed out people do we have? It's like, hey, you know, right. We're pretty privileged. Can you enjoy your privilege rather than be guilty about your privilege? Can you just be in that kind of awareness and appreciation of self and enjoyment? From there, adventure begins because it's then you've got a foundation for curiosity and you can move out. And a lot of times I find people are so lost with the outside and really what some would call an adult development, socialized mind, that they really aren't ready for that self-discovery, that self-authoring. And, you know, the excitement that we have as coaches is to really help people to recognize that and begin to just even take the pause to pay attention to themselves rather than all that out focus. You know, mm-hmm. I call it the breath marks in the sheet of music. You know, anybody who reads music, there are these breath marks. Mm. How are you thinking breath marks in your life? <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's those strategic pauses, that self-reflection breath pauses. We have that opportunity to recenter ourselves or appreciate ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where it begins, Bill. What I love about this space we're talking about is I liken it to that fertile ground for creativity. Mm-hmm. I think this is the space that maybe more pure or genuine creativity is really venturing into something that's unknown. We're creating something. Exactly. Perhaps every creation is created twice. There's a thought and then a manifestation of that. But even to have that thought, we have to be able to say, oh, I didn't know that before. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just a duplication, not a creation. Yeah. I've been really listening and reading a lot from Ursula Le Guin's, not her sci-fi so much, but her opinion pieces around things. She does this beautiful talk, and I've been thinking about it a lot, about the word she prefers to creativity, because creativity has been kind of taken over by Madison Avenue. It's like creativity (laughs) is to produce a profit. Right. She uses the word imagination. I love it. And so imagining, it's like visioning, you know, but it's more... So she would like to call her work imaginary fiction, not science fiction or whatever. I'm interested in piquing people's imagination now. It's really my adopted new vocabulary. You know, not that, you know, I've been teaching creative problem solving for how many years now? 25 years. (laughs) So it's in there. But I'm intrigued by, and when you think about the unknown, how do we imagine a future? Mm. Yes. Yeah. You know, rather than create a future, it's a little more ephemeral, perhaps, but it, I think it offers more stretch. 
it also invites the power of not knowing, doesn't it? Sure does. It sure. really invites that power of not knowing. Imagine what we don't know. Imagine what we're not yet. That's right. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. Oh, thank you. This has been a wonderful conversation. Appreciate it, Bill. Always. And thanks for listening. You can listen to a new podcast two times every month here at Get Emergent or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is where we bring you contemporary leadership topics and ideas balanced with what we hope you find are better practices that you can apply directly to your work and your leadership. Thanks for listening.